Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hedge Asad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Welcome back. We're, we, we, we took a short break while uh, Ben went on vacation, and I guess he visited me, among other people. And but, somehow that uh, meant we couldn't record a podcast, because that's kind of how it is when you're traveling and trying to stay on top of work at the same time. Uh, it was a busy week, but I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. We're also very good friends, as evidenced by the fact that Ben visits me and I don't do I don't return the favor. Apparently. Never once visited me, ever. Oh. In the history of this podcast. There's still time. No, I'm, uh, for those who don't know, I am, I'm actually moving to the country, and uh, Sammy has four weeks to yeah. uh, see this house before it goes on the market. Um. And, he, and in that time, he's probably <laughs> also having a a very major life change of his own that will preclude him from visiting. So it's just not going to happen. It's just I, the best I can hope for at this point is a video tour of some. I'd kind. appreciate that. Whatever. The house we, is filled with boxes. for two years. Everything happened over video, so I guess, it'll count. I guess that's true. Um, ben, where can people find your latest work? Uh, they can find my work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, at Haggerty, and at Inside Hook. We're one of the very few podcasts I know that plug things at the beginning of the podcast so people can just leave and read whatever they want no, to read. No, I notice it now. I notice other podcasts that do it. Uh, at the so end or at the beginning? At the beginning, so I don't oh, feel really? so bad about it. Yeah. So we're trendsetters is really what we've done. I don't even know if we're really plugging it. It's just like, <laughs> you're already here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Why would you stop now? <laughs> uh, you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and if you pick up the September issue of Car and Driver, I'm sure you'll find my name somewhere, or at least the letters that are used to make up my name. It's a good issue. You should get this issue. Um, Not too late. Yeah. So what are we talking about this week? We've got some cars to talk about this week. Really interesting things, which is, um, I guess, par the course. We usually do this, right? It's true. I mean, Sammy, I think that you had perhaps the more interesting take on what we're going to be talking about this week with the vehicle you were driving, which I believe starts with a, the last letter of the alphabet. Uh, the Z San Z? The Z San Z, yeah. It's, uh, uh, you turn that N sideways. That's right. Um, I drove the new, or at least the 2023 model uh, Nissan Z. I haven't actually had a chance to drive it, which is bizarre because I've driven it all of its competitors. I think, including the Mustang and the and the Supra. And I think what and, happened is you drove the Supra like conservatively times. eight times <laughs> yeah. before it was even released, and yeah. the gods looked down and they're like, "Nah, Sammy, you're gonna t- need to take a break from two seat sports cars that once upon a time dueled each other for supremacy." Yes, but nowadays um, I'm getting my opportunity in the Z, and um, there's a lot that I don't think people articulate about this car. I think when when this car debuted or was getting into the reviewers' hands um, all throughout last year, I think a lot of people kept trying to discuss its its place in the hierarchy of sports cars and its place in its own Z heritage. And I'm here to tell you, stop thinking about all that. It's time to think about the car and what it does. And what it doesn't do. Wow. Okay. Because so Sammy's telling us all how to think now. It's the 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 Sammy Mind Control podcast from here on out. I think it's fair. I mean, I think we need to, you know, you need to detach sometimes the stories that are told with the cars. And I know that's very difficult because a lot of cars come with really cool stories. And the Z is is definitely one of them. Who can forget what the uh, the original Zs look like and are just so iconic in what they do? This new car 
is not iconic. It's not iconic. I'm, I, I'm going to say that straight up. I do not think that this car is going to stand out in our mind in a couple of years. In fact, Ben, it's been less than a year, and you can't even remember how you felt about this car wow. when you drove it. You're already calling me out, and I haven't said anything about the Z on the podcast. <laughs> well, yet. no, I remember we had a pre we have a pre show discussion. It's very serious, which is weird. Um, and you said, I don't know, I don't remember what I said about this thing. And I'm going to tell you, there are some things that are really worth mentioning about this car um, in a positive light. And then there's, I think, um, a couple of things that are confusing and maybe even negative. And there's some way to descri- describe this car. And, and I'll get to that at the end. So but where are you going to start? What are you going to start with? I'm start with the positives. And that's the motor. The motor is, is fantastic in this car. It is so good. Um, it is so much more powerful than I thought it was, and way more powerful than it needs to be. This thing feels like a rocket on the on the road, but at the same time, having all that turbocharged... First of all, it makes 400 horsepower, and let's say um, a buttload more torque. 350 uh, pound-feet, so that's an 80 pound-foot improvement over the previous model. It feels like... 100 more horsepower and 100 more pound-feet of torque than they Yeah, I mean, that turbo torque makes such a big difference in this car. It's insane how fast this thing goes. And there are many times when I'm driving on the... When I'm cruising on the highway, you never need to change gears. Like, honestly, you put it... you Once you put it, get it in the six, there's no reason to change gears ever what again. What if someone pulls up behind you and flashes the headlights? you got to change gears then. No, yeah, I have to ready. change lanes. Apparently I, was in the, apparently, I was just camping out in the left lane in that right. situation. I don't think that's what that means, but okay. Oh, oh, my mistake. I I'm not up to I'm Be, not up to facial yeah. rules, Sammy. Yeah, I'm not up to standard on my uh, or up to knowledge on my my rules of the road nowadays. Um, of the street, the street or the road? How would you describe it? Road, 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 car, road and track. <laughs> Anyways, um, but that is to say that um, shift action was okay with this car. Clutches is, uh, is a little bit on the heavier side for me. Um, I, I will say preface that by saying I'm used to driving a flimsy clutch in a, in, in the Scion FRS that I own, um, and that's you know that's what I'm used to. It's a very light, flimsy clutch. You know, Sammy, uh, you are in some ways the target customer for this vehicle, right? Like this is kind yeah, of like the, the, where you would graduate to from an FRS if you wanted more power. Yes, this is a lot of power. This is a ton of power. And it's pretty good as a cruiser in that situation, but everything else about this car does not hit the mark. Um, steering, I think, was a little on the vague side, does not provide a lot of feedback, and just doesn't feel very reactive or responsive in the way that I wanted it to. But on the other hand, the chassis and the suspension, super stiff, very responsive, almost too, almost too much feedback to the point that it feels a little twitchy at times. And I really dislike this this juxtaposition. Um, and it made me not want to explore the the output of that motor. Do you know what I mean? You, so you were saying that you, it didn't make you want to drive it quickly. Yes. And at the same time, it is like uncomfortable to the point of wanting to cruise around in it. So did you leave the, the city of- with it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so I, in my opinion, I'm, I'm looking at this vehicle and I'm saying, like, what is the end goal? Who is this for? And, you know, is it the perfect graduation of those um, entry level rear wheel drive sports cars that people might have? Now, if it had a nicer interior, maybe I could go uh, go so far and say that. But the, the interior is, you know, to use a blunt word, it's serviceable. Um, there really isn't a lot going on with the cabin. Um, it, 
it is just it just works. That's all it does, and it's not even in a in a like in a snappy way. Like it's not an intuitive way. It just it's just everything is where it's supposed to be, and that's it. Nothing's interesting about the cabin. Um, I was really disappointed by that, and I don't know. I I I remember just every time I I I hit that that pedal and take off from a stoplight or while I'm cruising on the highway or wherever it is or trying to carve through some canyons, I'm like, wow, this thing's got a lot of power. And then when the twisties come, I'm feeling a little less enthusiastic. And then all the imperfections in the road makes it even worse. Um, and this thing just really wasn't working for me. And then what's worse, I think, is the exterior design to me is just not impressive enough. It doesn't turn heads enough for for this to be you know a unique or special sports car now i want to point out the fact that we're, you're talking a lot about interior and refinement it kind of sounds like just mm-hmm. in terms of like how the car feels um i i i found that you know on twisty roads i liked the ability to control the car with the throttle uh it, it's very it was the kind of car that can live towards the edge of where slip is and be happy with that okay um but the thing I want to point out is that this car only costs forty thousand dollars, right? In its base model, that is cheaper than a, a Mustang GT. Yep, uh, it's ten thousand dollars cheaper than a Supra. In yep. fact, I'll walk that back. It's ten thousand dollars cheaper than a six-cylinder Supra, which has mm-hmm. similar power. It's the same price as the four-cylinder Supra. So, this car is very much. I mean, forty thousand isn't exactly cheap, but it's you know from Nissan's perspective, this is a budget sports car. Yeah, and it's way cheaper than anything from Porsche, like a Cayman, uh, and it's much cheaper than a Corvette. But and I did not feel like it, it. It is worth mentioning alongside a Cayman. Definitely not. You don't think so? Performance wise, no. That the Cayman is playful. It's fun. It's interesting. It's not. Um, it's not like this. I don't know. There's something about a Cayman that, that stands out to me. The Cayman is and like, what, twice the price, too, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I don't think it's worth mentioning alongside those. And the other ones that you did mention I think are worth. It is It is definitely worth talking about how expensive the Supra is. Um, and that if people are interested, I think the GT Mustangs might pull it off. Then but I, they're, I drove they're the more GT expensive. Mu- I mean, yeah. the base Z, you don't get the, the limited slip diff. Uh, and mm-hmm. it has smaller brakes. Mm-hmm. So there's a performance trim that's a little more expensive. And like the most expensive Z is the Proto Z, which I don't think you can get anymore. Yeah, I think, I think that was it's like first model right? year. Yeah, and that was 53 grand. Now, yeah. I I think it's worth talking about the, the Mustang. I do think that the Mustang provides a similar performance profile, um, has rear seats, feels a little bit heavier, and again, emphasizes straight line performance over handling. Um, if you're comparing those two, I think the Z will come out on top as a as a better handling car. But it's you know I don't know if you know the the Mustang is sort of a benchmark. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And it's interesting because you know we're losing the Camaro, yes. which is uh, you know a more handling oriented muscle car than the, than the Mustang is. So there's not really much else out there that's a direct slot in comparison. And also even if you're looking at the uh, Camaro, I mean it had considerably more horsepower. Mm-hmm. And, and torque than the mm-hmm. well maybe not more horsepower but considerably more torque than the z right so the z's in this kind of really weird category like a one of one it seems like it should line up with the supra but price just really takes it right out of the equation like, yeah i mean if you're cross shopping these cars and you're at all price sensitive 
I don't think you're cross-shopping these cars anymore. That's right. I think that's fair. So then as a result, you're just in your own bubble. This yeah, v like, a, like if you wanted like a, a sports car around that point, you're kind of forced to look at hot hatches, right? Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I really would rather – I think I would rather a Z over a, a hot hatch I at mean, that price point. You were complaining about the lack of rear seat a little bit. That's true, and yes. And the comfort level, and I think there's probably some – Hot hatches, like, you know, Volkswagen's more comfortable, I guess, inside. Although the interior on the R is, the Golf R is, like, considerably low rent now compared to what it used to be. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe it's to discuss, maybe we should be discussing the the mission statement of the driver. I mean, if you are going to go on the track, I actually do think the Z might be a, an enjoyable um, companion for an occasional track day. Some of those tr- those hot hatches can be definitely, can can really withstand the heat of of some uh lapping days um i think type r or or uh golf r in particular can or the n remember those hyundai ends can really pull that off yeah um but um everyday practicality obviously is is something that they can pull off as well and i don't think the z can do that so you didn't you don't think that the z's like pseudo retro styling is makes up for any of the above I don't think so, man. I don't see it. I don't see the pseudo retro styling. Maybe in the rear end, I think the that rear three quarter angle does look pretty sharp. But the the headlights and that that rectangular grill, and I understand that they're they're throwbacks. They don't do it for me, man. I don't. Mm-hmm. Th- do you see it? Do you like go? Oh yeah, that reminds me of. Oh, the of front mine. of the car looks almost identical to the front of my car. No, do question. you like that? I mean, I don't know if I like it. I don't think it looks That's bad. Important to talk about. I don't think it looks bad, but I do think that that giant rectangular grill is like a direct callback to my car's giant rectangular grill. <laughs> Great. You, you okay. Just, it's just it's just hidden behind the bumper on most right. cars. I don't have bumpers on my car, so like it's a lot easier to see it. Um, but it is it is a very close uh, reckoning. I mean, the thing I see the most though when I look at the new Z is the 370Z that it replaces. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to hide that roof line. Yeah, you know, like you right. have you have like the 300ZX taillights and you have the S30 front end and then you have like the full profile of the of the 370Z. That's right. Yes. Now, it is like if we do want to talk about the the modern Z cars, the the 350 and the 370, those did have a playful nature through the motor if I if I can remember correctly. Yeah, the with 350 my time. more so than the 370, I think, but and while this thing is super powerful, it's not like rev happy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's a turbo, right? So, you, you, so it changes the personality. Yeah. So the personality, like I said, it, it just feels like this car is caught between a number of of things. I mean, and I'm I, glad I it exists know. at all. Sure. It's better that's that we, okay. It's better that we have this Z than have no Z, right? I think. I don't think. Yeah. That, I don't think there's anything about the car. Where you're in it and you're like, man, I wish they'd just done nothing. I wish they'd just respected. No, but you know, like, I wish they just respected the what memory car of the would Z. that have been? Well, it's not like they made the Evo into a crossover. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, that's fair. Like, yeah. it's not the same kind of thing. And also, I pointed this out a year ago and we talked about the Z for the first time. But also, Nissan is building this car themselves. They didn't ask BMW to build it for them. <laughs> yeah, that's and I fair. think that and we had a big argument about this. Yeah. <laughs> But I think that it means something that your Halo car is built by the company it's supposed to represent, even though you could argue that the GTR is really the Halo car for Nissan at this point. Yes. I guess the heritage heavy car isn't farmed out to like Magnus Dyer or whatever. But 
the concern to me is that that there's a Nismo version of this car coming. Yes, and we and talked, I think, about the weight. I think we, you, know, you and I, have talked about the weight of this before, right? It's the the Nismo car does nothing. It does nothing significant, and it's automatic only. Did we talk about that on the show? It is. I don't know. I don't. I can't remember. It is automatic only. It's automatic. It's heavier, only, which is a huge mistake. I it mean, gets twenty more horsepower and fifty more pound feet of torque, or I think no, twenty more horsepower and thirty more pound feet of torque, and. That's Those it. are concerning. Those yeah. are concerning. Inf- that's concerning information. You're, you're, Those you're, are not issues that I had with the car. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The number one thing I said was this thing is wicked fast. So right? the idea that your track specific model is also the heaviest model in the lineup seems bizarre to me. The other thing is I understand there's not a big market for manual transmissions anymore. Mm-hmm. But the track version of your car is probably that market. <laughs> You know, so why yeah. not at least make it an option? Do they does, is the six speed in the Z going to explode because of fifteen <laughs> or thirty extra pound feet of torque? I highly doubt it. Like it doesn't seem like are they really riding the razor's edge that much with the stock configuration? Yeah, I don't know, it's man. It's just weird. That'd be like um, you put an exhaust on your Z and like your transmission grenades. Like that makes no <laughs> sense at all. So I'm concerned about that. I. I truly do think that they had an opportunity to turn this car into a more uh, focused grip oriented vehicle and they didn't um, and I think, now I'm, I'm weirded out by that <laughs> I think they don't sell very many of them and they didn't want to put a lot of money into them and you know the fact that we got that drivetrain I'm happy about that because it's mm-hmm. great as you pointed mm-hmm. out they put a little bit of money into the design and the rest they just kind of carried forward and Nissan yeah they smoothed over like they they, they refined the 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 interior, obviously, if but you, it's nothing special. If you look at how Nissan has handled itself in terms of updating vehicles over the recent in recent years, they've kind of been weird about it. Like we had the Frontier, where we got the 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 new truck with the old motor, or was it the old truck with the new motor? Old truck, new motor. Yeah, and then I, we got a another redesign like a year after that, where they mm-hmm. they, they quote unquote new platform even though it feels very similar uh how they should have done that if they if they put the engine in the new if they put the engine you know surprise in the new look we would have been like wow it feels totally different but now it's like there's some familiarity here and also i you have to ask how long has the maxima been on the market is the maxima still on the market i don't know (laughs) but i think i went to the launch of the maxima the morano like 10 years ago yeah and I don't think it's changed since then. And then, you know, uh, uh, Murano, there's another really good point. Is the, the Murano, I think, got a refresh not too long ago. But I'm trying to see if the Maxima is still available. Let's find out. I believe they're, they're it killing is. off. It's still the, there. It's still, <laughs> I believe they're killing off the Ultima soon. The Maxima is $44,000. Wow, that's a lot Why of money. Why would they kill the Ultima? They don't sell enough of them? Okay, if, they're, <laughs> if they keep the Maxima but kill the Ultima, how does that make any sense? Welcome to Nissan, folks. <laughs> so all this to point out, Nissan's not great about investing <laughs> investing in its products. Like, it sometimes feels a little scattershot. Like, the yeah. way they did the Titan pickup was also super weird. You know, like, it just... What? Talking about the Cummins diesel forever and then... And then we get the then... XD model that's, like, neither fish nor fowl in terms of being a heavy-duty truck. Yeah. Um, it just... I mean, I don't have a, I don't have any issues with Nissan as a company, but it's hard not to... To take a look at some of their strategies and kind of raise your eyebrow. I also remember when we got the um, Sentra, where they gave mm-hmm. us the SER that wasn't an SER. You know, it was just 
a trim level, basically. It didn't yes. give you the extra performance. So I'm looking at sales numbers of Ultima. Last year, it did 140,000. And that's down from a peak of like 335,000 in 2014. That wasn't that long ago. Oh, uh, Nissan. No, hold on. Nissan will end production of the Maxima this year. Okay. So if we're talking about the Maxima, they sold 7,000 last year. The year. And the Ultima will that, be killed off in 2025. So we've got an extra year or two of the of the Ultima. The year before that was 16,000. You know, so like it's just... To, the, Nissan is getting rid of both a car that they don't sell at all and a car that they sell 140,000 versions of a year, which seems like an odd thing to eliminate from your lineup. But remember, Ford was selling like a quarter million fusions a year when they got rid of that. That was and wild to me. What it, all, what it all boils down to is these companies are making more money on crossovers and SUVs because the prices are higher because as customers, we've been conditioned to believe we should pay more for an SUV. So yeah. what they'll do is they'll take the line space they were using to build the Fusion and the Ultima and devote it to something else that's more profitable. It's like a pure numbers play. And that's going to be the Rogue, I guess. I guess, or who knows? Maybe it's going to be Z-Rogue. We don't, we don't know what's going to happen next. Z-Rogue. Um, <laughs> yeah, what a weird company. I can't wait to see what they do next. They did show, I think, um, at Pebble Beach, they showed off a QX80, and it looks identical to the It was old. virtually identical. It was called it a, was concept a concept, too, right? Yeah. Like, the concept, I guess, was history, because that's <laughs> the only thing that made any sense. And I'm, anyway, I'm not to trash yeah. talk the QX80. It's a vehicle that for a long time had a really gorgeous interior compared yeah. to every other Infinity in the lineup. It's still nice. I think it's kind of been surpassed. I think the QX50 had a really nice interior mm-hmm. uh, that kind of surpassed it. But um, the the platform itself is super old. Like I believe it's a decade old as well. Uh, but like uh, in terms of the product, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be blunt here. The car was ugly. Um, I don't it find had, it ugly. I don't have a problem with it. I understand. The, I understand maybe, why you would say that. It was it was not a good looking car in, or truck, and then it had like this really dated V8. But it managed to stay relevant for so long with that design language and that powertrain. And then now they're like they don't know what to do with it either. So I don't know what's going on with this. It's strange company. because you figure like big <laughs> SUVs are just a license to print money. Like how yes. can you not? How can you not know what to do with that? You make more of them. Like it's that's what you do, right? I don't okay. Know, just... Well, that that allows us to um, segue really nice into the vehicle you're talking about, which is a big SUV. Yeah, I drove the 2023 Range Rover. Um, hey, specific- I've done that before. Specifically, the Range Rover SE, which is, I guess, the base model. Wow. Mine was a long wheelbase, and the the price for it, if you want a long wheelbase model, uh, yeah, a base with- level, a base, a base long wheelbase Range Rover. Hit me with it. Uh, it is it, it one hundred and sixteen thousand dollars. Whoa. Okay. Sorry. So- sorry. One hundred thirteen thousand for the base, and that's with seven <laughs> seats. And that's a lot more price. That's a lot pricier than I thought it would be. Yeah, and I drove. It's the, also weird that they gave you a, a base model. Well, I drove the long wheelbase um, okay. model. Sorry, the long wheelbase model is one hundred thirteen thousand. But mine was. It was still the base trim level. But there's two engines. There's like a the the entry level is uh, a sort of a hybrid. I think it's like a mild hybrid six cylinder. Mm-hmm. And mine was a twin turbo V eight. It's called the nice. P five thirty, and it's one hundred thirty six thousand dollars. This is a twenty three thousand dollar jump. Just to change the motor. Holy Same moly. trim Say level. Say that again. Is a twenty three thousand dollar option to get this wow. motor. Wow. It's kind of worth it though because uh, the engine itself. It's a. I want to say it's. A, I don't remember how big it is. Um, 
I'm looking, trying, I have my review in front of me here from when I was talking about it, but uh, it's a considerable upgrade in terms of power over the base model. Right. Um, you're looking at 523 horsepower and 553 pound-feet of torque. Those are nice numbers, man. They, they are nice numbers. I know the Land Rover, Land Rover has a reputation for building heavy vehicles, but also like they're mostly aluminum. They really do their best to lightweight them. So it's pretty quick too. Uh, I think it's, even though it's heavier than most of its rivals, it'll keep up with pretty much everything in its class. Like I think the X7s, I think the GLS, um, I'm not sure about the Rolls-Royce, like that's a step above. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure about the Bentayga, but it's, it's right in that mix in terms of speed. And you really notice it from behind the wheel. Like it felt super quick pretty much all the time. Wicked. Very smooth. That's really good for a vehicle that size to feel confident, right? It's startling because it's also on like air suspension. And when you steer it, you have no connection with the outside world. It's like, it's, it's again, to, to borrow a nautical term, you're basically just setting sail on this thing. And I'm not saying it's out of control or anything, but when you turn the wheel, it, it something happens, but you feel very disconnected from, from that action. And you're just kind of pointing it where you need it to go. It's not a handling kind of vehicle. So to have that much speed in a vehicle that is not athletic whatsoever, it's, uh, it's a little daunting at times. It, and, um, and, and it'll tow 8,000 pounds, which is pretty great. Nice. That's, that's a really decent number for, for a vehicle that size. That's perfect. Now, I will admit that I drove the SV version of this vehicle, a four-seater SV four Range seat, Rover. Yeah, three seats less than my vehicle. Yes. <laughs> and I found it to feel relatively heavy at times, and it had a lot of random equipment. Well, maybe not random What's to some random people, equipment but... to you? Like a dentist chair? Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the rear seats were, were both powered, had massage functions and, vent- and heated and vented seats. They had um, the refrigerator between the two of them and, okay. like, uh, wine flutes or whatever you want to call so them. I didn't have a refrigerator and wine flutes. I had a two log differentials um had a waiting function which detects if you're driving in a river although you should probably really know you're driving in a river like i don't i, don't, I mean maybe the, the ride of a range rover is so good you, you just don't know. know you're just like oh are we are we floating now uh it had a uh, the the so the back bench normally total penalty box right mm-hmm. but in this vehicle it had heated seats in the third row and it had like pretty decent heating and cooling vents to the side on either where, where people would sit so it was a pretty comfortable place to be and it's really easy to get in and out of there's like a uh, a power system to move the seat forward and back and then the second row i think was both heated and cooled um which is nice the only yeah. complaint i really had though was that third the second row bench because mine was a seven seater mm-hmm. the second row bench had this dark upholstery the leather it didn't really feel the same as the front seat it seemed like i don't know if it was so much the feel as it was featureless there wasn't a lot of stitching going on there wasn't a lot of weird special yeah it was just odd and i was surprised because in general land rover is very good about interiors like it's not a and details i think yeah it's not a problem for them and again this is this is a nitpicking situation um okay that was something i noticed about the other thing that i use the vehicle because i'm I'm in the middle of moving so i'm I'm picking up boxes and moving stuff around and i was able to put so many boxes inside this thing and the one thing that i enjoyed was it had this like a lot of the time cargo covers in suvs just get in the way if you're you're trying to move large objects it's basically puts a bar across the cargo area yeah yeah dares you to fit things over top of it or underneath and And then challenges you to remove it remember that you removed it and leave it behind or put it somewhere and and then you throw in the fact that if you have like a third row that pops up and down sometimes the cargo cover is in the way 
right? Yeah. And you have to move it, and then it's just rattling around in the back. So you you in the Range Rover, there were two positions for the cargo cover. It snapped in right in the middle behind the um, second row of seating. But mm-hmm. if the third row was being used, you could also snap it in directly behind the third row. So you don't get any rattling. Excuse me. I don't know why I'm sneezing on the podcast all the time now. That's so weird. Yeah, I should just... I don't know. What's Are you on. allergic to the podcast? I'm now? allergic to Range Rovers. I see. Yeah. They, they, it's a strong reaction. I'm getting all puffy. I got these highs. We'll tell, we'll tell JLR to send all the next the next ones to me. Um, so it goes right behind the seat and it's super useful. And, and I, I appreciated that. As somebody I love been, that. I love being able to put those items in a place where they belong and they're out of the way. Right? Like, that's exactly. great. So the downsides of this truck. Oh, there's downsides. Yeah, there's a couple of downsides. Oh, no. Um, the biggest one is the infotainment system. Not <laughs> not so responsive. Like, okay. sometimes you had to push the buttons on the screen multiple times. And it's one of those systems that like pushes back, has the haptic touch. Right? Yeah. It gives you feedback to let you know you push the button. But sometimes that didn't mean anything, right? So you end up pushing buttons a lot of times. Also, the menus can be kind of opaque like there's a lot of sub menus to get through in a land rover and that can be a bit frustrating if you're trying to find a specific feature this is not this is not exclusive to the range rover this is like pretty much every land rover out there the infotainment is the weak spot It, it gets incrementally better every year but still you know um i remember this feature as well um you need to push it like you really need to give it a hard push in order for anything to happen on the infotainment screen yeah i think that's so funny the other thing about the truck that i really like is i think it looks gorgeous i i you think, do like the new redesign i do i think the taillights at the back the the frame the way they frame the the tailgate and the glass mm-hmm. i think it's pretty spiffy i also like how land rover is excellent at shrinking the vehicle visually uh, the way the belt line rises and the roof kind of trails off towards the end, it makes you, in profile, you look at this truck and you're like, this isn't really that big. And then you get close to it and you're like, wow, this thing is huge, you know? like it's. But it doesn't come across as this gargantuan, imposing thing from every angle. And that's an impressive thing to do. Like, th- there's a difference between being imposing and being impressive. And I feel like the Range Rover walks that line quite well. I really wish I remembered that you were, t- you were, you were uh, testing this vehicle because... I had an experience every time I would get out of it, it would, I think, go into the um, the lowest air suspension setting. And like it would make a lot of buses and it would make a ton of noise when doing so. And I always found that to be a little um, unrefined. This I was wondering if really, you, this one was, wasn't really that, no, that noisy. I did not. Have or you took point. off. You just like yeah, the moment you got oh, out. As soon as I like, closed the door, I run dead. Sprint, I run. Yeah, I, I like to loiter. House. I live in a very different neighborhood than you do. And if I hung around the Range Rover, that's just a recipe for disaster. I understand. Um, Now, the important thing to talk about with this vehicle, in addition to all the changes that Range Rover has made with the new redesign and the new new, all-new motor, I mean, all-new features, it's now available with the seven-seaters. You mentioned that. Where does it now rank in the hierarchy of these seven-seater luxury SUVs? Well, the thing for Range Rover was... For a long time, they were kind of the only game in town if you wanted to be able to go off-road or at least cosplay going off-road and have a truck that was super luxurious, mm-hmm. right? Like there were there were things like the X5 and the ML, they were luxury trucks, but they weren't the same class in terms of, I guess, features, but also size. And then we started to get things like the X7 that I mentioned earlier, the mm-hmm. GLS, the Bentega, the the DBX, you know, there's, there's this whole subcrop of 
really high priced family vehicles now that are roughly the same size as the Range Rover. And Range Rovers tried to deal with it by dramatically spreading out the price points for the vehicle, right? Like the base version of the Range Rover, if you don't get the long wheelbase like I had, um, it starts at like 107,000. So you're right in the mix with like a, a, a higher end X7. But at the at the super top end, you're looking at like, I, there's $200,000 versions of this vehicle, right? Yeah. If not more. So yeah. I, I think the Range Rover SV that you drove is like 234,000. Yeah, and that's like before, that's before options. So once you're, well, that encompasses a lot of a lot of vehicles, and within that range, you've also got things like the Cayenne Turbo S. I guess is is, that, is there still a Turbo S? I think so, yeah. And the Urus, and like these vehicles that don't do the same thing that the Range Rover does, but are now a different way to conspicuously consume. Uh, it's a different way to show off your cash. So Range Rover had to take that into appear into. Uh, in, into consideration, consideration as well. yeah yeah that it's got it had like rivals coming for it in in multiple vectors yeah right? and it wasn't going to be able to take all of them on at least not head on it was, mm -hmm. was going to have to continue being what it was but but try to broaden what it is to the point where it can attract a fairly diverse range of people who are now being tempted by other stuff and like right. you know at the very very high end of this we have things like rolls royce with yes. the, the vehicle whose name i can never pronounce Cullen, Cullen, Cullinan. And that's much more expensive and much more exclusive. But if you think about it, that they vehicle... They do the same thing. Yeah, that vehicle is just a special Range Rover. You know, like <laughs> the Range Rover set the template for what Rolls-Royce built. Mm -hmm. There's no question. So I don't think they need to compete with Rolls-Royce, but they definitely need to compete with like Bentley, BMW, and everyone else. And I understand, yeah. It's, it's a tough situation to be in. I think they're pulling it off. Um, I think maybe there might be room for another vehicle that's even crazier that isn't a Range Rover. But I don't know if politically you can make a more expensive model at Land Rover that isn't called the Range Rover. What makes you say this? I, w which part? All of this. I, I mean, I think in reality, um, Jaguar is going to change tact significantly. They're going to go, I think they're going to go upscale. They're going to go all EV. So they're going to be a different product, I guess. But it's going to be expensive. And I think you're going to be talking about vehicles that are more expensive than Range Rovers. From Jaguar? Yes. If there's no guarantee of success. I mean, that brand hasn't been successful in like 30 years. That's, it's a real, that's a real price <laughs> one. Wow. No, but financially, it's true. I mean, that company has been entirely propped up by Range Rover. That's right. By Land Rover, sorry. I mean, that's, there's... So what if, what if somebody sat down in Coventry or wherever they're based? I think it's Coventry. Uh, I could be wrong. And said, why don't we make our own Rolls-Royce competitor? You know, if Aston Martin can build a an Urus competitor, why can't we build a, yep. a Rolls-Royce competitor? And and then they call it something else. And then you have a half million dollar Land Rover. You know, I don't think that's far-fetched. No, I don't think it's far-fetched. I do think that they can pull it off. It is. It would be interesting. I want to talk to you about one small detail. I think you recently drove the Land Rover Defender 130, which is, I think, a three-row version of the Land Rover Defender. Looks like a school bus. Is another three-row vehicle in the JLR um, portfolio. Is there any relationship? Do you think that people are getting... Like, talk to me about, about how, how diverse this um, automaker's three-row offerings are. I don't think that they're crossover customers at all. I don't okay, think perfect. Range Rover buyers are shopping for Defenders, or if they are, it's as a second vehicle. Um, I know that, like, I, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but 
Um, most people who own Range Rovers own like five or six vehicles. Yes, that's it's, fair. That's that's what the company has discovered with its. And research. one of them might be a Land Rover Defender One Hundred and Thirty. And for a long time, that's why they didn't build a three row because they didn't need one vehicle to do everything. It wasn't <laughs> important for them. Uh, I I think that I don't even know if Range Rover owners connect that the Defender is made by the same company. Then that's that's a good point. I think that's a really important point. I think that's great for them yeah. that they can they can offer. Similar product across a totally different price point. Well, they're not similar products, though. They're really not. I mean, other than the fact that they're both SUVs and they both have three rows. And they're off-road oriented. I would not call the Defender comfort oriented. I think the Off-road oriented. uh, Yeah, but in different ways. Okay. Um, I I just see a really big difference in build quality and fit and finish and smoothness between these vehicles. Uh, If you look, if you're in a Defender, like... It really does feel you, – you can get a base model Defender that feels like – I'm not going to say it's a, a pedestrian vehicle, but it, you can tell it's not necessarily luxurious. Like there are non-luxury Defenders, I guess is the point I'm getting at. But there's no non-luxury Range Rover. And yeah. I, I feel that the way Land Rover has split – their branding has been pretty smart where they've split Range Rover away from everything else like Discovery and whatnot – and that's worked well for them. And there is a real difference between them. It's not necessarily like the difference between a Lexus and a Toyota. Okay, that's great. I think that's important. I, I really do think that's impressive for a car company. Like an, a, a JLR as a, as a whole, sometimes seems like they're on the they're at the edge of on the edge of like you know, <laughs> liquidity. <laughs> yeah, like the edge of like viability. And the the fact is that they can make pretty solid vehicles that can impress in two diff- in so many different ways in different markets. It's just so wild to me that somehow it just hasn't clicked and i guess it's is long-term damage from from being you know kind of second class to the germans um or japanese yeah i i think that it's interesting too is the journey they've taken to get where they are because for a long time the land the the range rover was a two-door more utility focused vehicle that only really became luxurious when it hit the north american market right and they leaned hard into that and kind of built built a a market that didn't necessarily exist. I mean, the Grand Wagoneer had been around for a long time, and that was as close as America got to a luxury SUV. And Range Rover was a way to build on top of that and kind of create what is now probably the most profitable slice of the market outside of full-size pickup trucks. Very true, yeah. Um, anything else you want to talk about with this um, Range Rover? No, I think that's pretty... I, I like it. I You know, I said a long, a long time ago when I first drove my first Range Rover... I it was one of the the only vehicles I'd driven that made the, the six figure price made sense. It justified yeah. because it felt like it could do everything. Like it can haul stuff. It can go anywhere. It's a it's a legitimate luxury vehicle. It's imposing. It's, it's stylish. It's quick. Yeah. It's you know an S class is impressive, but you can't you know you can't take it down a muddy trail or uh, tow with it. But uh, you probably can. But like. An, well. <laughs> A Range Rover can do everything an S-Class can do plus. And yeah. so I I was like, okay, you don't use the word value very often when you're talking about upper tier luxury, but the Range Rover kind of feels like it has that value. I mean, as long as it has a warranty. Yeah. <laughs> um, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, I think that's, that's it for me. I wanted to give a quick shout out to, to one of our listeners, Sebastian. Uh, thanks for listening. He's, uh, him and, uh, and our other listener, Tobias, have been hanging out in Norway and telling us that they, they love our stuff. So thanks for sending us a note. 
if you want to get a shout out or at least um, message us and tell us that you like what we're doing, I really implore you to go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact button there. You fill out the form and it will land in our inbox and we'll be able to uh, hear what you have to say. If you have some feedback, it goes a long way. Or if you just want a shout out, just let us know. And you can also find us on social media. Did you mention that, Sammy? No, I didn't mention that. Of course. I don't know what social media is anymore. You can find me on Instagram. I'm at Hunting Benjamin. I don't know where you can find Sammy. Uh, <laughs> I'm also on Instagram, but I guess you can find me on what used to be Twitter and is now just called X. Yeah, I don't, don't know. go to Twitter. I mean, we're not going to send you to Twitter. <laughs> just come to just come to Instagram. It's, okay. it's better. And if you do listen, like like us, subscribe to us, leave a little review. It all it makes a big difference. It helps boost the podcast visibility and uh, broaden the audience. And the more people we're talking to, the more cool ideas we can get in terms of feedback. So we always appreciate that. Um, what are we talking about next week, Ben? Next week, I'm going to be talking about the convertible Supra, Sammy, which is a vehicle that doesn't exist unless you go to the BMW showroom and pick up a Z4. Very cool. That's a good. That's a great approach to take for uh, for that vehicle. I've got uh, a couple of choices to make, but I do have an announcement. I bought myself a car. What? And uh, I think we should talk about what. Why would you buy a car when you drive a different car every week? I I need I. My life is changing, Ben. Things are changing in my life. I so we're going to talk about stability. this change next week. I hope so. All right. <laughs> okay. okay. If you want to guess, if you want to <laughs> guess what Sammy bought, you can do that, and we will we'll talk about it next week. Okay, I would love to know the. I would love to know what people believe they, that I would have bought. That's Honestly, great. the weirder the guesses, the better. I agree. All right. Bye, everybody. See ya. <laughs>